All right. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you've joined us today. Uh, I was thinking this week and remembering a story um, that I read some years ago uh, about a guy by the name of Brian Nichols. Uh, it actually made his story into a movie. Uh, it's called Captive. It's on Amazon Prime, or at least it was, uh, it's, if you ever want to check that kind of thing out. But anyway, amazing, true story. Um, Brian Nichols, a guy, he was uh, on trial. He was in a court for something. I don't even remember what the original thing was, but he ended up uh, kind of bringing a gun in, and he killed all kinds of people in this courtroom. He ended up killing the judge, the deputy, the lawyers, and a bunch of other people before escaping. And on his way out, uh, he was looking for a place to lie low. He ends up taking a young woman hostage in her apartment, held her there for hours and hours and hours. Can you imagine, by the way? It, it would be terrifying. I mean, this guy was a cold-blooded killer. Now, this young woman was a Christ follower, and uh, after several hours of being held hostage uh, as sort of a way to kind of calm herself down and uh, whatever, she asked if it'd be okay if she read from a book she'd been reading, a book by the name of uh, The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, he said it'd be okay. In fact, he said, you know what, why don't you read it out loud uh, so that it might kind of help kind of calm some of my nerves too. And so uh, she opened up the book to the, where she had, had the bookmark where she was. It was chapter 33, and she started reading to him out loud. And after he read about the, the first, after she read the first paragraph, he was, he was kind of cut to the heart. He said, stop. He said, go back and read that one more time. And uh, here's, here's what she read. Uh, it says this, she says, we serve God by serving others. The world defines greatness in terms of power and prestige and position and possessions. If you can demand service from others, then you've arrived. And in our self-serving culture, with its me-first mentality, acting like a servant is not a popular concept. Jesus, however, measured greatness in terms of service, not status. And Brian Nichols said, he heard her read that, and he said, wait a second, go back and read that again? I tell you what, these words and this whole concept of living our lives as a servant rocked this guy's world to the point where they stayed up for hours through the night talking about God, and eventually he let this woman go. He let her call the police on him, and before they arrived, this woman had led him to Christ. Isn't that an amazing story? changed his entire identity. Suddenly he understood that he was made for a purpose. Amazing story. It's transformational when we realize and we embrace our God-given identity. It's life-changing. It alters our priorities. It, it skews or, or maybe clears up for the first time our vision and it frees us from fear uh, and from taking just another meaningless lap around the hamster wheel solidifies our own sense of identity and self, and it solidifies our, our standing before God, and it endows every moment of our lives with purpose and with meaning. It's transformational when we uh, step into our God-given identity. Well, we're on week number three of a series that we've been doing called, Who Do You Think You Are? <laughs> and this whole series is is really taking a look at this. It's, it's helping us to understand and step into our God-given identity. Each, work, each week we're taking kind of one piece of it and looking a little bit more closely at who God says we are and what that means for our lives. And this week I just want to zero in on this topic of, of understanding our identities as servants uh, of Christ, as, as servants of Jesus. Now if I just use the term servant, or and this, is, this one's <laughs> even worse, servant or slave, 
What kind of images? Is that a positive or negative connotation for you? When you th- if you think of like, hey, my identity is that of a servant, of a bond servant. Is that a positive connotation or a negative? How do we feel about this whole idea of being servants of someone else? Does it make you feel good and peaceful and everything inside? Or is that kind of a little uneasy making? All right, you guys aren't going to talk to me. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of makes us yeah, a little jittery, doesn't it? It's, in fact, I, as I was thinking about it this week, I'm like, I think it's kind of anti-American in some ways to talk about this. This is so, I mean, it, this is so embedded in us as Americans. I mean, throughout our history, uh, we've, we've been all about freedom. It's why our country was founded. We fought wars because of it. We've marched and had civil rights because not all of us were actually living in freedom. It's a big deal to us as Americans. And when we use words like servants or words like slaves or whatever, we tend to react strongly against it usually. And yet, God makes it abundantly clear. The early church even totally embraced and lived this out as their identity that they were servants of Jesus Christ. They understood that life works best when he was the master and and we, they or we, are the servants. God's perspective on these kind of things, as usual, is completely opposite from our culture. Instead, he tells us that at sort of the, one of the core pieces of our identity, if we understand ourselves correctly, is that we are servants of Jesus Christ if we are, if we are uh, Christians. Today, I have to <laughs> tell you, I had Tina read through my message last night, and as I usually do, and, and her one comment was like, wow, you got a lot of scripture in there, <laughs> and so, so bear with me today. Uh, I've got, I'm trying to paint a, a kind of a holistic picture because, like I said, this is kind of a countercultural thing, so I want you to see uh, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of places in the New Testament alone where God kind of zooms in on Christ followers and says, I want you to understand that you are a servant, that life works best when you serve and you understand your identity as a servant, even a slave of Jesus Christ, okay? So that's, that's where we're going, but I, I don't want you to hear it from me and be like, well, that pastor is way off today. I want you to hear this and wrestle with it from God's Word directly, right? So that we can take, take a look square at it and say, okay, what does this actually mean and where does this go? So I'm going to share a bunch of scriptures just to kind of walk you through this t- together. Romans 7, 4 is the first one. Listen to this. It says, in the same way, my brothers and sisters, your old selves died and you became free from the law through the body of Christ. This happened so that you might belong to someone else, the one who raised us from the dead, and so that we might be used in service to God. Listen, if you belong to somebody else, what kind of language does that sound like? Sounds like servanthood or slavery, right? He's saying we belong to someone else, the one who was raised from the dead. Who's that talking about? gold star next to your name. It's a, good, it's a good bet if you're in church, the answer is Jesus, right? So, so what can I go with that? But if you are a Christ follower, the Bible says, then according to God, you belong to Him. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Again, it's, it's that kind of language saying you belong to Jesus. You were bought with His life that was poured out for you. For a Christ follower, at the core of our identity is the fact that there is one Lord, and it's not you, and it's not me. There's one king over all this, and we belong to him. We are made for service to him. We have been bought, and our life now belongs to Jesus. 
Jesus also tells us that greatness and that success are things that are not found in things like possession or popularity or prestige, just like that quote from Rick Warren. It's not about being at the top of the social ladder or, you know, at the top of the ladder at work or anything like that. It's not about how much money you make, how much people look up to you or anything else. Greatness from God's perspective and from the lips of Jesus himself, greatness is directly proportionate to how we embrace our role in our lives as servants. Listen to this. This one is Matthew 20, 25, again, straight from the lips of Jesus. Next slide. <laughs> or not. <laughs> okay, I, maybe the computer's thinking about it. We'll, we'll, <laughs> let me read it to you. It says this, Jesus called them together, his followers together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They look down their noses. Their high officials exercise authority over them. It's not to be so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among them must be, great among you must be your, what does that say? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your? Yee. Can anybody say gulp? But then Jesus says this, even the Son of Man, when he, when any t this is Jesus' favorite term for who? Himself, right? Even the Son of Man, he said, didn't come to be served, but to serve. Greatness, Jesus says, is found by taking on the role of a servant, even a slave. If you want to be great in God's eyes, then understand your identity and live this out as a servant of Jesus. It's meant to be who we are. Even Jesus modeled living this way. Even, I mean, this is mind-boggling if we really think about it. Jesus, God, the only one that can truly own the title of king, the only one that can truly own the title of Lord, right? He spoke and everything came into existence, right? If anybody had a right to say, okay, come now, all of you serve me, right? If, if anybody ever had an opportunity to own that authentically, it was him. And it says even Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to serve God. He came to serve others. We see this again and again. Philippians 2 talks about this. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Although he was God, Jesus willingly took on the nature of a servant. Why? He was modeling for us, but he also understood this path to greatness, this path to become the first is really found not so much in us elevating ourselves and being up here, but in us stooping down and serving God by serving others. He understood his identity even as a servant. And then he teaches his followers to follow in his footsteps. In uh, the Gospel of John, there's this moment uh, right before the crucifixion, right before Jesus goes to the cross and really does give his life as a ransom for many, as he, as he gives his life serving humanity by dying for our sins on the cross. There's this amazing moment where he uh, takes on really the, uh, the role of the low, lowest servant, and he goes around, he takes uh, a towel, <laughs> and he takes a, a basin of water, and he goes around to each one of his followers and he washes their feet. It's something that, there was a kind of a pecking order or a status uh, kind of, 
I don't know what status order or whatever. I, I can't think of the name, but but uh, of even servants, most servants wouldn't even be required or obligated to have to have to do that because it was such a nasty job. Again, picture uh, men and women wearing sandals on dusty roads where animals had been. I mean, like it's a nasty job. Like this is a not a good day. And he stoops down and he washes feet and he goes, I mean, th- he washes Judas's feet. He, he goes around, he washes all of his disciples' feet. And then he says this, to, again, to his disciples, after he's washed their feet, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, he says, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, again, I want you to step back and just kind of see the picture. He has just stooped down and done the task of the lowest servant. He's gone around from person to person, and he's washed feet. And, and then he says to his followers, he says, now you should do it too. You should serve as I have served you. There should be no task that is too low, no whatever, that, that we, no, no opportunity for us to look down our nose at anybody else because you, you and I need to understand our role, our identity, our calling even as servants of Jesus. If the king did that, if, if the Lord did that, how much more us? We're called to serve God and to serve others. And it's not just Jesus. Jesus modeled this again and again and again and again. But the early church, his, those, those first Christ followers understood it both from this, but also you can see it carried out in their letters. Uh, this is just crazy making for me. But, but, but Paul, for instance, the Apostle Paul, opened most of his letters with the same kind of uh, call, if, if we can go to that next slide, the same kind of understanding of his identity as a servant. Romans 1, right, says, Paul, what does that say? a servant of Jesus Christ. It means literally a bond servant or a slave. He's like, my name is Paul and I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's how he would introduce himself to the churches. That's how he would uh, kind of open up his letters and his correspondence with other Christ followers. My name is Paul and I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That's pretty much what you need to know about me. He is the Lord. He is the great one. I am the one that follows his lead. That's my role. Paul a servant of Jesus Christ. He's the master. I follow and I obey him. Now, not only does Paul sort of understand this, but pretty much all of the leaders in the New Testament do the same thing. Simon Peter starts out uh, one of his letters, 2 Peter, the same way. Simon Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. James starts out this as a servant of Jesus Christ, which by the way, James, I always have to say this, brother of Jesus, right? This is, this is, crazy. I mean, just just cool. But he understands his identity as a servant of Jesus. Jude, Epaphras in some of his letters, not in the New Testament, but elsewhere, uh, open up with that, a servant of Jesus Christ. These early believers clearly identified themselves as Jesus' servants. They understood that was part of their identity. He was the Lord, they were his servants, and they lived their lives as such. Can I just hit the pause button for just a second and say, how about you? Do you, identif- do you identify yourself? Is that how you think about yourself? Is that a core part of your identity as saying, you know what? This is who I am. I am primarily a servant, a slave even, of Jesus Christ. He's the great one. He's the master. He's the king. And I am his servant. Where he leads, what he commands, 
With his help, I'll follow, and I will obey. It's not about me. It's not about my priorities. It's not about what I want all the time, right? It's, it's about him and his glory and his plans and his purposes because I am the servant of a great master. Is that how you see your world? Is that how you live your lives? Is that how we uh, live and function as individuals, as families, and as a church? Now, as I mentioned earlier, not a super popular concept for us as Americans. Our country is founded on freedom. Freedom is what our lives and our country really are all about. And as Americans, we are for freedom and against slavery. We're against servanthood. Even when I'm putting together this message and I'm writing out these words like servant and slave, I kind of have this gulp feeling and this, this uh, you know, tension in the pit of my stomach because there's this whole tension even around the concept or the word. But I, I think that the problem that we have oftentimes uh, of this whole idea of being servants of Christ, of, of living our lives and embracing our identity as even slaves of Jesus Christ I think it really comes down to this, this whole idea of who's really going to be the boss? Who's really in charge of this deal? For any person in life, there's one of two positions available, right? On the one hand, there's the king, there's the master, there's the one that's, you know, we, I don't know, I'm trying to, th I lost my train of thought, <laughs> but right, the, the one that's in charge of this whole deal. On the, the other hand, the other option that is available to us is that of a servant is that of one that's under authority, one that is not the boss but follows the lead of the king or the boss or whatever that kind of thing. I think for many of us, the problem that we have with this whole idea of servanthood, of embracing our identity as a slave to Christ, is that we haven't really settled this deal of who's in charge, who is going to be the master, and who is going to be the servant. Are we the king or are we the loyal subject? The truth be told, I think for many of us, we want to be the master, don't we? We want to be the king. We want to be the one that's in charge. We want others to serve us, not the other way around. In fact, I, I was thinking about and remembering a story I heard one time from John Ortberg that was just great. He talks about this whole idea of kids being in the back seat of a car in the van or something on a trip, especially when they're on the same kind of uh, seat instead of bucket seats, but like a bench or whatever. And he talks about, man, do you remember as a kid, going for a road trip, and there's one kid over here, and there's a sibling on the other side, and suddenly, like, battle lines are drawn, and, and kingdoms are drawn up, and they're like, man, don't cross this line, right? This, if you cross this line, you're in my kingdom, and there's going to be a war, right? I mean, have you, you guys remember this kind of thing? And, and I mean, they, pretty soon, uh, battle lines have been drawn. Pretty soon, they start fighting over territory, and who's, you know, you can't tell me. You're not the boss of me, and there's all this kind of stuff back and forth, and he says, man, and then pretty soon, if the, once the battle gets loud enough and the intensity gets high enough in the car, dad's, dad gets involved, right? And dad, whose who's kingdom does uh, dad think that is, by the way? He thinks it's his kingdom, right? He's like, no, no, you don't understand. There is a king in this car and it's neither one of you, right? <laughs> it is me. And so he's, he starts saying, don't make me come back there. And the kids are like, yeah, right, dad. We're going 70 miles an hour down the, down the interstate. Like, you're going to come back here. And so sooner or later, he says, bring out Mr. Hand. He can't go back there. So he, he says, Mr. Hand going to the backseat of the car trying to <laughs> grab kids and maintain order and discipline in his kingdom. And the, the kids kind of retreat to the corners of their kingdoms, right? <laughs> and, 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 
he's, he even has some good ideas about what to do when kids do that. He says, a little tap on the brakes brings them right into play, right? <laughs> you can, suddenly Mr. Hand can grab him. May, may my kingdom come, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> but there's this, uh, it, 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 it's fun, it's kind of a joke, but I do have to say, man, I think that's kind of our worldview. We kind of do want to be king of our own kingdoms and in charge of our own lives and worldview. We want our own plans to succeed and all this kind of thing. If we have to choose between one of these two positions of king or servant, of Lord or servant, which one do we choose? Oftentimes, we're kind of like, you know what? I kind of like to have my own way. I kind of like all this. I kind of like my own plans to come and yet, God tells us over and over and over, right? That's not the good life. Ironically, it will not lead you where you think it was. Even if you like to think of yourself in the free category, in the king category, if you like to imagine being your own man or your own woman, doing whatever it is you want, want, being your own master, even if you want that, God is pretty darn clear that everybody is a slave to something. Either you're a slave to sin, a slave to your own cravings and desires, or you're a slave to God. 2 Peter 2.19 puts it this way, says this, says, for we are all slaves to whatever has mastered them. We have a real hard time understanding what real freedom and real slavery looks like. We think that freedom is the absence of somebody telling us what to do, the absence of rules or authority or any of that kind of stuff. And so, for instance, we'll say stuff like, we'll think even stuff like this. Nobody is going to tell me how I can spend my money. I'm my own boss. What I want and what I deserve, I should be able to have. And so we'll think, for instance, hey, you know, I work hard for my money. I should be able to go out and get the 75-inch 4K TV. By the way, I was on Best Buy's website yesterday, and that's actually a category. Set, you look at our TVs, it's 75 inches and bigger. I'm like, that's the size of my house. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? 75 inch. So we think, well, nobody should be able to tell me. Nobody should keep me from getting what I want. This is my kingdom, right? This is my world. And so we think, I should be able to have that. Or I should be able to have my own wardrobe, whatever I want. I, I need to look good, right? I mean, we, we kind of think, or I should be able to have whatever. And so we go out. It doesn't matter if we have the money. So we go out. We take the credit card. We swipe it. We come home with this monster TV or what? fill in the blank. We go on this luxurious vacation or we go on whatever. And I, by the way, I'm thinking of no one. So please, no emails, no nasty texts or anything. But I mean, all of us, we, we kind of do this kind of thing, right? We think, well, I should be able to. And so we go out and we do these things and we think, I'm free. I have the freedom to choose that, which is kind of true. But my question is that sometimes our perspectives are so stinking skewed. We take steps, and what we think is freedom is actually leading us into slavery. The average American has more than $8,000 of credit card debt. Yep, we went out. We had the freedom to swipe that little card and to come home with a monster TV, and then we're paying 18% on it for a decade or more. And now who's free? Now you are enslaved month after month after month after month. You used to have this much money to spend. Now you have this much money to spend, right? Because you promised to pay them back for the next decade. And we think we're living free from rules and free from whatever, but we are enslaved by our own desires. We're enslaved by the consequences even of those things lived out. 
And instead, God says, man, it's, it's counterintuitive, it's countercultural, but if you just would have followed me in the first place, my path, if you would have submitted and understood your identity as servant, right, as he's the king, I'm the servant, if we would have followed him in the first place, there would have been freedom. There would have been freedom for us in life. We are slaves to whatever has mastered us. Everybody's a slave to something. The only question is, what do you want to be, what do you want to be a servant to? Well, okay, I'll go ahead and do Romans. So I told you I had a lot of Scripture. <laughs> Romans 6 says this. It says, uh, when, you, uh, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, right? You were free, quote, quote, from, uh, from God's law and from God's wisdom for you. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things end in death. But now, he says, you have been set free from sin and you've become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, which means we're becoming like him. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everybody's a slave to something. You have to choose what you want to be a slave to. You can be a slave to self and to sin and your own desires and whims and all the consequences that come from that. But it leads to destruction, God says. It leads to loss, and it eventually leads to pain and to death. Or you can choose to be a slave to God, which ironically <laughs> leads to life and freedom and wholeness and blessing. That's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 9 when he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it, will save it. Have you really settled this issue, friends? Who are you trying to live for? Who's, who's going to be, uh, what's your identity going to be at the core of your life? Are you trying to live as the master or as the servant? We are made to live our lives as servants, as the subjects of God. There is already a master, a God, a Lord, and he's a kind one. He's a good one at that. That position has already been filled, and life rightly understood submits ourselves under his leadership, under his lordship in our lives. It is in that context that we come to life as we understand our identity as a servant of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to hit three things real quick, and don't worry, I know the time, and we're going to be fine. Uh, but I want to hit three things real quick about what does this actually mean? When we're talking about being a servant of Christ, what does this look like? What does this mean? First thing I just want to hit real quick is it's a picture of sort of, of single-minded devotion. And all I mean by that is the life of a servant is simple. It really is. It's not complicated. The life of a servant is simple. You have only one thing to keep in mind, and it's pleasing somebody, and it's not yourself. Who is it? It's pleasing your master, right? It's, 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 it's pleasing. God, a servant is actually super simple. He says it, you do it. You're, you live to follow and bring pleasure and good to the one that you serve. Second Timothy 2, 4, there's a, a whole, I'm, I'm taking one part of three different stories that gets told here, but it, uh, it, it's getting at the same thing. No one serving a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Right? It's a single-minded devotion, living to please only one. 
not getting confused about why you are here, not getting mixed up with other things, finding other masters or splitting your focus. No, instead, living to please the master. It's the, it's the same thing that Jesus talks about in, in Luke 16 where he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other or vice versa. A slave can have only one master. And so God says, you got to choose. Who's it going to be? A servant has a single-minded focus. They're devoted to one master. The second thing that it means is uh, it's kind of a picture of obedience. The job of a servant is to serve, right? That's, that's the whole deal. We are meant to serve the master, to obey and follow his lead, to do what he says. G.I. Packer writes this. He says, the word servant in the New Testament means bond slave, somebody who is not at his own disposal, but is, at his, ma- but is his master's purchased property. Brought, uh, bought to serve his master's needs and to be at his beck and call every moment. The slave's sole business is to do what he's told. Now, does this sound harsh to you? Does it sort of make you cringe a little bit? Yeah, I, I get it. But I want you to hear this. Christian service, therefore, means first and foremost living out a slave relationship to one's Savior. Luke 17 uh, puts it this way. This is Jesus talking again. He says, suppose one of you uh, has a servant plowing or looking for sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant, uh, will, or excuse me, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told? So you also, when you have done everything you are, you've been told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now, what's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is it's our identity. We are servants. Servants are meant to do and to follow the, uh, the lead of their masters. Obedience is sort of the mark of a good servant. Their job is to wait on and to serve and obey the master. Let me pause again and just say, how are you doing on this one? Would you say that you embrace and live out this kind of identity? Do you consider yourself a servant to Jesus? Whatever he says, you try, and, you try and obey. You try and follow his lead. Does that attitude sort of characterize your relationship with Jesus or are you trying to live as the master, having your way and your will be done in your life? Friends, you and I are made to live as servants of Christ, obeying the master, what he says goes, because it's not about us or our plans or our will. It's about the master's plans and his will. Now, I get that this might sound harsh, but it's not. I want you to remember and keep in mind, remember that obeying the master according to Scripture leads to life and freedom and joy and peace. I always think of Deuteronomy when I, when I think of this because it's in the context of, of God giving us the Ten Commandments that this is, this is put in here. It says, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you. So that it may go well with you. In Joshua 1.1 is another one. I don't have the Scripture up there, but stick with me. Joshua 1.1 is another place where, where God ties obedience to being prosperous and successful. <laughs> We talked about earlier where Jesus ties, you know, servanthood to greatness, right? It's a picture. This is how you and I come to life. It's in this context that we learn and are reminded that God is good. He's faithful. He's for us. He's he's not against us. And so obedience to him actually leads to freedom in life. That takes us to the third one, and this is, I'll kind of balance everything out here, so stick with me. Two more pictures, but it's, it's all in this context of servants are those that belong to him. Wow, that kind of got dark all of a sudden. <laughs> anyway, l- listen to these two, because th- again, this is the balancing part that I want to get to. 
John 15, 15, this is Jesus talking. And he's, he's looking at his followers. He says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, what's that say? Friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And Galatians 4, 7 puts, says it this way. It says, so you are no longer simply slaves, but you are God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also in error. And here's where I want to come back and kind of balance. Now, let me be clear. Is God isn't changing his mind here. He's not saying, oh, okay, you know, forget about it. You don't really have to live out your identity as a servant. He's not taking back the 600 plus statements that he makes in the New Testament of, about living our lives as servants of God and servants of other people. He's not changing his mind. He's just filling out the picture. He's saying the servant picture can only take you so far. In order to really understand who you are in Christ, you have to understand how God feels about you. You have to remember that you're not just some piece of property to Him, that He only cares about the work that you can produce. No, this is a God who gave His life for you so that you can be a part of His family, so that you can become His son or daughter. In fact, we're going to spend the entire week next week talking about it because it's awesome and it's an amazing identity piece that we want to focus on. But this is the God that gave His life so that you can become an heir, so that you can, uh, you know, receive and kind of get written into the Father's will so that you can move into His house and become adopted as His family and have access to the living God Himself. This is a God that has done everything so that you can be made new, so that you can be forgiven, so that you can receive the promise of eternal life. Friends, in order for us to really understand the biblical picture of being and living as a servant of Christ, you have to broaden that picture out to include belonging to Him to include being his son or his daughter. You have to understand what he's done for you and how he feels about you. And friends, I just want to remind you this morning that God is crazy about you. He has loved you since before you were born. It brings him pleasure to adopt you into his family, to bring you home, to fill you with his spirit, puts a smile on his face to have you come to him as his son or daughter, to be able to approach him and talk to him and be in relationship with him, it brings him great joy. He has loved you like you can't even imagine. He's for you on a scale that is jaw-dropping. It's amazing. He wants life to go well for you, and it is for this reason that he tells us that we need to obey, that we need to put him as the king over our lives, that we need to accept his leadership over our lives and his kingship in our lives. A servant of God isn't just some doormat that God tramples on. Biblically, a servant is also a son or a daughter whom the Father loves, and Jesus even calls him a friend somebody that God cares about. It's not him walking all over you kind of deal. It's a matter of understanding who God is, that there's only one that is worthy enough, one that knows enough, one that cares enough, and one that is powerful enough to be master. It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we, as, when we embrace and buy into this whole identity as his servants, we embrace what we're made for, made to carry out His will, made to do His bidding, the bidding of a lovesick God who wants what's best for His kids. One more story and I'll be done. I, um, 
I think I've shared this once before, but uh, one of my heroes uh, from the 20th century is a guy by the name of Bill Bright. He's the founder of uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. It's known as Crew these days, and uh, an amazing guy. I mean, through his ministry, through his the books and uh, that he's written some tracks that he's written, the staff of Crew and uh, a project he did called the Jesus Film, which was seen by four billion people around the world. They have led hundreds of millions of people to Christ, right? There are hundreds of millions of people will end up in the kingdom because of this guy's life and ministry and the way that God used him, right? I mean, amazing story, godly man, cool kind of stuff. But I remember one time, this is just so memorable, but I remember one time him getting asked by somebody saying, man, God used your life in such a powerful way. What is it? Why? Is, did God use you? Why you? I mean, there's, there's other smarter people around us, but why did God choose to use you? And he's like, you know what? The only answer I have to that question is I can remember as a young believer, he said, uh, 20-some years old, he's like, I actually wrote up a contract, and I said, from this day forward, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He said, I signed and dated it, and he said, you know, I've screwed up and whatever else, but to the best of my ability, I've gotten up every morning trying to live my life with that identity in mind. I've, I've, I've dropped to my knees before I got out of bed every day and said, God, I'm your servant today. Use me as you will. Would you lead me and guide me? Would you work through me? I'm yours. Right? If, if there's somebody that needs to be loved, love them through me. I'm yours. If there's somebody that needs to be served, I'll do it. Sign me up, because I am your servant. If there's somebody that needs to hear the good news that there's a God that's crazy about him that died to say, tell him through me, I'm yours. If, if there's a relational rift, like, let's, let's go in and fix it. I'm yours. Whatever you say, your will done in your way, I'm in. Have your way in me. I'll tell you what, friends, in order for us to live the lives that we're meant to, it, it, it's, it's going to involve us understanding our identity, understanding who God is. He is the Lord. Understanding who God is, right? He's the, he's the one that's in charge, and understanding our identity is, God, we are your servants. Have your way in me. It's my prayer and my hope that we, preaching to myself here too, but we, right, all of us, we'd grasp more fully onto our identity as his servants and live our lives wide open for him. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry uh, this morning. Lord, forgive us for too often and too easily wanting to be the king and the hero and the star of our own stories, wanting our will to be done, wanting, us, wanting it to be all about us. God, would you forgive us? And instead, would you lift our eyes to you? Would you remind us this morning of your greatness and your power, of your love? And God, we just want to open up our hearts and our lives, our hands even, in surrender and just say, God, we are yours. You are the master. We are the servants. We want, we want your will done in your way in our lives. Teach us to live out our identity and our calling today and tomorrow and the day after. Before our feet even hit the floor, God, may we just open up our hearts to you on a daily basis and just say, I'm yours. Live your life through me today. Have your way in me today. You lead and I'll follow. You speak. And with your help, God, I want to obey. I want to follow. 
May your kingdom come and your will be done in me and in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.